This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. You know, Zupan's, it's it's a great holiday spot. Their holiday ordering begins now. Yep. If you haven't started to order, you can order all your holiday things online, turkey, sides, pies, and more, and you can come enjoy a feast. When would that be, Court? It would be this Saturday, November 9th, at all three stores, all three locations, 11 to 3. They call it Taste of Thanksgiving, or as I like to call it, Lunch on Saturday. <laughs> That's what I was just about to mention. I did that last year. It's delicious. You also might want to check out this week. They have on special one of my favorite items. I always grab them, the sage brined pork chops. Oh, nice. They're in Supan's fabulous meat department, which uh, there are all sorts of great things, including, which I just got this week, their signature burger patty. It's an exclusive blend created by their own butchers. It features fresh ground brisket, short rib, and chuck. And I have to tell you, it is the best burger you're going to make at home. So that's one of the great specials going on. And Chris, we talk about this all the time. The heads up you get from the news feed email, uh, exclusive offers and deals, a sneak peek for you if you haven't signed up for it, but you will want to. A free Zupan's marinara when you spend $20. And that will be happening next week. So just a heads up for you. You've got time to sign up. Yeah, and you've got time to check it. Every time I walk in the store, I check that recent email to see mm-hmm. what's going on. Yep. It's it's a great it's a great idea. So Zupans for your holidays. Court, I know that you have uh provided great items for your holidays in the past for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. Oh, you you can't go wrong when you let uh, Zupans do half of the work for you. I mean, you you still have <laughs> to do some of the work, but let Zupans do some of the heavy lifting by ordering your holiday meals starting as early as today. Right. At any one of three Zupans on West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and also McAdam. And always Zupans.com. It is time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. Over there is Court Johnson, who, by the way, you haven't been to a Portland Food Adventures dinner since what, Irving Street Kitchen? It's been, uh, that's exactly, it's been a few years. I'm I'm horrible. (laughs) No, you're not. It's okay. I never, you know, we generally fill them up anyway. We yeah. just love to have you and Randy there. Uh, maybe you can consider uh, Alden Wine Bar in uh, January coming up. It'll open up 2020 for us. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, p- put me down, Chris. <laughs> okay. You want me to put you down like as an insult or put you down for dinner? Kind of, kind of both. I'm kind of okay. both, both doing it for me. I wouldn't. I don't need. You know, you're one of the people I don't want to insult. You're eh. too nice a guy. Well, I, I appreciate so. you saying that, but uh, occasionally I deserve it. So, well, we all. If that were the case, we just have a Don Rickles hour here. Sure, for both of us going back and forth. Yep. Um, anyway, we have a good almost hour. I think uh, a little short of it um, today. We have Craig Gerard from Stone Soup, um, which is over uh, in. 
right next to Bowery Bagels, yeah. if you haven't seen it. It's in the old Guilt Club spot. And Craig will describe what they're doing at Stone Soup to help people in need generate the skills to uh, the restaurant skills to uh, get themselves uh, great jobs and move forward in life. And um, we talked to Craig about how he came up with the idea, what the plan is, how he hired Scott Dolich to be the guy running the show over there, and uh, how it's going. It's just, uh, they're about, let's say July, August, September, four or five months into it. They're about to have their first um, graduates of the program, and uh, it's really cool. It's also a great spot for events and we just had one over there with the uh a wildwood reunion which was pretty crazy to have Corey schreiber and scott dolich and john from zupans um dustin clark who's now the head chef at bsauce who was the longest serving employee at wildwood so we had a 25th anniversary celebration there um the room was awesome and uh it's really a great spot and it was great to get to know craig before this interview and uh, a few new little tidbits I wasn't aware of that he talked about. And, uh, of course, I had to quiz him on his Yankee fandom as right. well. Of course. <laughs> you always have, I always have to do that for anybody who claims they're a Yankee fan. Um, anyway, that's just my thing. And most people probably don't care. But. I- uh, you know these quirky baseball things. Sure. Hopefully, we'll have. You think we're going to have baseball in Portland? I, 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 I feel like we are inching closer. Maybe it's like one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back. But I, I, we're, the momentum is there for sure. Right. And you know, how about this? I don't know. I haven't heard anybody mention this, but you know, when I moved here in 2005, or right before it, the Expos were leaving Montreal, and one of the cities mentioned then was Portland before they actually moved to Washington. We could have been celebrating a World Series championship right right now. Yeah. Right? Did you think about that? How awesome would that be? It would pretty great. Pretty great. Except they wouldn't have won it here in Portland. They would have won it in Houston. In Houston. (laughs) Right. Anyway, but uh, enough of that. Let's get to the battered hand. Craig Girard, Stone Soup. Enjoy. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupan's on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupan's.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. Uh, I can hear myself. And you can hear me. I can hear you very well. Right. Thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Appreciate it. After baseball season, you had nothing to uh, cheer about. Nothing going on. Well, you did for a little bit. Yeah. How'd you become a Yankee fan? <laughs> I was born in New York. 
Oh. Yeah. Well, um, that, that kind of explains it. Yeah, my grandparents were Yankees fan. They were born in New York. My parents were Yankees fans, born in New York. When we would go back for summer vacations back to New York, uh, my aunt was a banker, mm -hmm. is a banker, uh, and has some high-profile clients. And one of her clients was George Steinbrenner. Oh, so that's fairly high profile when it comes to the Yankees. <laughs> exactly. So we would actually get to sit in George's seat. Oh man! Right next to the dugout. So there was how one, often did you uh, do that? I mean, once every two years, we would go back to New wow. York. Wow! So yeah. you were there all throughout. So if I asked you the questions that I ask all the people that I assume are Fairweather fans, and I'm not assuming you are, but I may as well do this. Because because I'm a Met fan, sure. you know, and so I get a lot of people who roll their eyes at that, and then they say they're Yankee fans, and then my first question is, who was number nine who played third base for the Yankees? And um, that's that's the test if you're uh, to me if you're a recent Derek Jeter and on Yankee fan when they were winning, or you went through the tough years. Ah, uh, well, I'm not good with numbers numbers and history like that. My cousin, who puts out an email every day with the Yankee box scores, I don't know how he has time to do it, but he's, it's great because it keeps us all linked into how the games are going during the season. He would nail it like that. Well, I'm uh, sure you would, and that's okay. There are some people who aren't tuned into numbers, but I got a few that I could conjure up you sure, know, just so to my, check. So who's the scooter? The scooter. Oh, oh man! man. All yeah, right. I'm failing. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I'll buy your explanation that you've been a real Yankee fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort when. of grew up in the uh, Dave Winfield, Don Mattingly, Dave Rigetti. Right, but so era. here, here's the, here are my the answers to those questions. Sure. Greg Nettles, number nine, okay. right? Who was, you know, uh, a great Yankee uh, through those times, right? Before, like during before. and before that. Mm -hmm. So he was, you know, Reggie Jackson era, 77 when they won. Um, did they win? Yeah, they won. That was the all the home runs. And then the scooters, Phil Rizzuto. So doesn't matter if you're listening to Yankee games, you'd have to know. So, And then we could get to questions like who was the a Yankee announcer who was... Th those are a little tougher trivia. They, they don't really... They're not really filters. I'm, I'm much better at Seinfeld trivia. I could do that all day. Oh. Okay, so who was, what's the last name of Crazy Joe? Do Devola. Crazy very good. Joe Devola. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. You want to just do this Where's, for the hour? You can, well, you can quiz me too. Where's Elaine from? Oh, that, I, I didn't claim to be a Seinfeld expert, but I, I watched it. <laughs> She's from Baltimore. From Baltimore. I wouldn't have done that. I like how in these interviews, you just sort of ease in. Well, we have like, to when I'm late, too. The, i got to figure out a way to ease in like, so I'm not apologizing. Like slipping into a, in a, into a hot tub. It's just like, are we in? We're well, in. I tend we're to in. think that if, we're not, if we don't go right into the interview, it feels less. I like this to be more casual anyway. Oh, so, but I'm a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. So sure. um, I, can probably answer, I could probably answer a lot of questions about that and get them wrong because my memory sucks these days. But... Um, so one other. So if you're a big Seinfeld fan, do you know his birth date? Jerry Seinfeld's birthday. Yeah, date? I know it because it's mine. Oh no, I don't. Not the same year, but same day, April 29th. Okay. So anyway, all right, that's out of the way. Baseball, and uh, it's going to be a fun off season to see what happens. You know, what do you think? Just quick question, and for those people out there who don't care about this in Portland and they're here to hear about food. 
I just have to just indulge me. One last question. What do you think about Carlos Beltran as uh, Mets manager? Did you know that happened no, two days I, ago? No, I didn't. Yeah, I, so he's a Yankee, a former Yankee. Yeah, I'm I'm all in favor of former players being managers. They know with no to, experience. Zero experience. Zero coaching experience. Zero coaching yeah. experience. So, I feel like we should bring Dan Patrick into this conversation. Yeah. Can you just dial Let's him call in? him up. Yeah. Court. Let's do that. So um but uh I'm excited because uh, you know, I think it as long as someone can um guide them but i'm excited because i think there was a chance when he goes into the hall of fame he may have decided on the royals or the astros or even the yankees but i think this solidifies him going in with a met hat so that's uh, all that matters okay yeah okay so stone soup is a really cool place we had a fantastic event there now it's 10 days ago time flies it feels like it was Last week. Right. Was it not last week? No, it wasn't. It was, yeah. But it was it was a really special event because it, we, you guys, you and Scott Dolich, um, we all decided to do it. And then I don't remember exactly how we got to the idea. Oh, I remember of a Wildwood reunion because Corey Schreiber had been on this podcast and I knew Scott and Corey had a connection. And when Scott said, let's do something, I think it was... I, me, I think I said, oh, let's get, you want to get Corey involved with this. And it turned out it was literally right on the 25th anniversary of when Wildwood started. I did not know that, and I did not promote the event with any 25th anniversary verbiage. It turns out, and you know what? That was a really, really special night. I've been doing this, these Portland Food Adventures for dinners for um, nine years now. That would start the 10th this one and um the, i would have to say that one i felt honored and really special to be a part of that and i bet you you did too for me that was my first pfa and so it was a great introduction i when i told the crowd that that was exactly how i imagined stone soup events to turn out i wasn't blowing smoke like it was a really good vibe really good energy in the room and just a lot of fun. We had a good time. I hope it sets the tone for all your future events. If that's what you had in mind, that worked out. But we had some really special people there, too, which were, you know. Yeah, there was some some firepower in the kitchen. Yeah, firepower in the kitchen and firepower in the seats. See, I, I view, it's not an event. If you had had all those people in the kitchen making those that great food and you'd only had 10 people there or you'd had a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and say, some wine dinners, there's not the same energy that there, are, there is at a Portland Food Adventure dinner. Ironically, because at wine dinners, you're breaking in all the time, which we did mm-hmm. for different reasons. Um, but the energy was awesome. And to have, this was the first opportunity I had to have Corey Schreiber do cooking at an event or for me. I don't know. I, don't, I never got to go to Wildwood when he was there. Uh, Scott? Dolich is a special, very special guy, and he was on the podcast before talking about Stone Soup, Mm -hmm. Um, and so Court and I in our intro will mention that, so we can go back and get a kind of a double, uh, a a, a two-dimensional view of Stone Soup. Um, And uh, Dustin was awesome, Dustin Clark, who was the longest tenured employee Mm -hmm. at Wildwood. And by the way, for those who don't know, there are people who might have just moved to Portland and don't know what Wildwood was. Wildwood was an institution that was started by Corey Schreiber 25 years ago. 
and uh, it spawned a lot of Portland's great chefs. We're now on about generation six from there, but if you go anywhere in Portland, you're probably going to run into somebody who had a connection to Wildwood. It was fun to hear Dustin explaining his dish uh, before we opened the doors. We all just mm. st- stood around and talked about what we were serving and what we were making. And to hear Dustin go into the detail, I sort of exchanged this look with one of our program participants during his uh, explanation of, of what he made. And it was kind of like, whoa, this is next level. It's serious. Yeah, I thought the same thing. That took minutes for him to go through what he put into his dish and it was it was wonderful but you know what before we go too far down like an event that already happened that people can't go to and reminisce about it let's talk let's educate people about what stone soup is doing and first let's talk about what it is we've already talked about it but there are some people who have not listened to every episode here i I can't can't believe that i can't believe it either it's so hard for me to imagine but why don't you talk about what stone soup is and why you started it kind of in that in that order sure so stone soup is a non-profit restaurant and we are training people who are at risk of homelessness for careers in the food and hospitality industry Uh, we are taking our program participants via referral from social service agencies around the city places like transition projects or Central City Concern as being a great partner, Human Solutions. There's about 18 different social service agencies that we have been in communication with that can refer people into the program. It's a 12-week training program. The It's divided into three months. Uh, it, the, each month is a tier, and the, uh, the first tier is kind of how to work and move in a kitchen, food safety and hygiene. And then the second month they get into actually working the stations of our restaurant. So that's cold side, hot side, dish and prep and front of house. Um, So they spend a week at each of those stations so that when they uh, move into the third tier, which includes a week long externship at one of our partner restaurants or kitchens, they're ready to go in one of the places that they might have a job opening. And that's the end of the program whether that externship that they do leads to a job or if we go back to another uh, job placement partner network, uh, those partners are places like um, Irving Street Kitchen and the Toro Bravo Restaurant Group has been really supportive. Um, New Seasons Market, Central um, Grand Central Bakery, um, all of those places and, and more, um, they all have expressed interest in hiring our graduates when they finish and all expressed interest in taking these week-long externships. And that's really the goal of the program is to get jobs for people. Um, What we found when we were talking with restaurant owners and chefs was that they're really just looking for somebody that can come in, be on time, show up, uh, and be able to say, yes, chef you know, not give a bunch of excuses about why they're late or they don't know this, that, and the other. We're not going to teach our program participants how to cook in three months, um, but we can teach them how, how to, to feel be, comfortable in the kitchen. Yeah, too. how to be ready for a job. Right. So uh, the so there's a, as we all know, a labor shortage in kitchens in Portland. 
Um, and yet, on the other hand, we and have a reliability this, shortage, too, well, which you just cited. Absolutely. And then, on the other hand, we have this willing workforce that wants to get in and do something, but they don't have the skills or experience to apply for those jobs. So that's the bridge that we're trying to make. Hey, Chris, let's uh, pause here for a moment to talk about uh, Ringside Steakhouse. It's always a good pause when we're talking about Ringside. And you know, they have, it's very exciting over there because they have new happy hours going on, uh, available only in the bar Monday through Saturday, 9.30 to close, and Sunday, of course, 4 to 5 p.m., and then also 9.30 to close. It's one of the best happy hours in, in town, for sure. So if you like their onion soup, and many of us do, that's now on the happy hour menu. It wasn't before. Oh, very nice. So so for those in the know, Ringside, I mean, it's a beautiful restaurant. And in the bar, you can pick from all sorts of great items from anywhere from $1.25 up to six seventy-five each. That onion soup is six seventy-five. Uh, at happy hour, also a prime rib dip sandwich. Their beef meatballs, uh, for less than that, you can get their steak bites, which we all know are great. Mm-hmm. You've had those, haven't you? I've, I've, I've had those many times, and it's yes. uh, something to always go back to. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's great. And you know, the holidays are coming up, and a ringside gift card is probably one of the sure bets that you can get anybody. And now they're offering them, you can buy them online. Oh, nice. Without having to stop by the restaurant. And the website, which is where you will go to book your reservations for when you go there for your holiday meal, by the way, uh, ringsidesteakhouse.com. I think Ringside is one of the classic Portland restaurants, and uh, for anybody that hasn't been there in a while, they need a refresher about how great it is. Yeah, my wife actually, she came down into downtown Portland for a comedy show, and she's like, you know, we want to go get some bites to eat, and I'm like, uh, duh, Ringside, and she went in right. and had just a, an enjoyable hour before she went over to the comedy club. Good thing to do, and... Uh, yeah, it's a great time, and then uh, go do what you need to do afterwards. Got the, the valet parking there, which is always so convenient. Yeah, it's nice to have. I mentioned it before. Yeah. You can get the uh, gift cards at their website, and that's also where you can go to book your reservations, ringsidesteakhouse.com. And how do you find the how do you find your students? Right, so those are all coming in via referral. Um, and places like Central City Concern or uh, New Avenues for Youth or, or Join or Portland Homeless Family Solutions, Human Solutions, they've all been um, interested in, in helping us to find our participants. They all come in by referral. Um, all we need to bring them in is a, a letter of recommendation from their employment specialist or their caseworker and a, a resume from the participant. And really, we're not worried about... Do you about, interview them? Yes, I mean, we do. So it's a possibility that they get the recommendation and they're referred, but then you, in an interview, determine, man, this is probably not a right, which has got to be tough. I don't know if you've had that happen yet. But. It, it is tough. I think a lot of it comes down to if they're ready or not to join the program. We've had a few people that apply that... You know, they don't show up for their interview or they're late or they come and they're just not in they're, a space. They want to check the box to get through to the next stage of whatever they're doing. Maybe, probably. maybe. I, mean, I think the reality is that our 
participants are coming to us with a lot of barriers. Um, one of our goals through our life skills portion of the program is to knock down some of those barriers so that they can get a full-time living wage job. Um, but the barriers that they face are real and the, and, and it's things like life getting in the way. And, you know, when you don't have a lot of money and you are fighting court battles or addiction or mental health or, needing to wait in line for caseworker or doctor or clothes don't have good reliable transportation any of those things just get in the way of you getting to work on time and i think you know it's easy for us to say like oh you know five minutes we're we're five minutes i walked in five minutes late it's okay and and yet we judge our participants pretty strongly on their ability to be Five minutes early, right? So, um, this happens to be on the only day in six years I was late to record this podcast. Do and you, I, you realize I, I, that? Yes, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not putting you on the spot. Well, I'm, I'm glad that court told you that because that's not just my excuse, but no. yeah. Um, and so, and you know what? Reliability, uh, punctuality is a big issue for me just in life because. It sh- automatically shows who, a little bit. It could show a threat of narcissism, and it shows respect for someone else. Making letting someone else wait ten minutes, five or ten minutes is, in my mind, selfish. I've done it before, but I I don't really like. I, I think whether I have something to do for that ten minutes or not, that, it's that's the most stressful thing for me. Is if I know somebody's waiting for me, I right. cannot stand that. Yeah, I hate. I hate being late. I, late, I actually went through almost a red light just to get here. And boy, did that work. I got all the greens. Yeah. Uh, that's irrelevant. Let's not talk about me. But so there, um, uh, and I would imagine to go through there, Scott's probably not going to be the guy forever, Scott Dolich. But I mean, talk about learning from a giant in mm. the Portland food industry right off the bat. And that's probably a lot of the reason that you're getting restaurants of the caliber of Irving Street Kitchen and and Toro Bravo group mm-hmm. that are interested in your graduates. It was funny. I, I was able to connect with John and Renee uh, Gorham from Toro Bravo um, earlier on um, and had a meeting with them before they knew that Scott was going to be our, our chef. Uh, and yet when I told them in that meeting, hey, our chef instructor is Scott Dolich, they... There was a little bit of a shift, you know, they, they, okay, these guys have something going on more than just a good idea. Well, three and, months supervised, and I'm sure Scott isn't hands-on for the whole three months, but three months with a program that was developed by him with access to Scott and, and mentoring from Scott, I would imagine that's one of the better culinary schools in Portland right now, right? I mean, what what better can you do for three months out of the box? I think, you know, one of, we often try not to describe Stone Soup as a culinary school because we we know we're not teaching people how to cook. Uh, At the same time, you know, we are teaching them how to get a job. And Scott's been great with that too. You know, he's over his long tenure in restaurants hired and fired but hired a lot of people so he knows that side of it very well 
um, knows how to work with our participants on their resume and their interview skills. We have other um, help with that at the restaurant as well. Um, and but yeah, it's it is fabulous. You know, it was kind of um, so we we put the job announcement for our chef trainer, chef instructor on poached jobs um, pretty early on. And we didn't really know what we were going to get. And uh, at the same time, there was an Eater article that came out. And I think Scott saw that Eater article and then started poking around on our website, maybe saw the job opening there. And kind of at the, the last minute, we had already done a bunch of interviews and we were meeting. It was um, my wife, Renit, who's the co-founder, um, who I don't think you've met yet. No. Yeah, because she was in D.C. for the uh, the dinner the other night. Um, and one of our board members, Rachel, uh, and I were meeting at our house for dinner to kind of talk through the candidates, candidates yeah. that we that we had. And Scott had called and said, hey, you know, I'm kind of interested in this. Would you know, can we talk about it? And we had a good long 45 minute conversation on the phone. And I said, look, we're getting together tomorrow night to, to figure out who we're going to hire. Why don't you come to that meeting or come to that and we'll have a conversation with you and Roni and Rachel so we can throw your hat in the ring as well. Um, and it was pretty clear from that meeting that Scott was a step above everybody else that was that we were looking at um, and had the experience of running a restaurant, not only running a restaurant, but running a restaurant in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Because Park Kitchen was is around oh, the corner right around from the corner, where, right. where Stone Soup is. So um, that's super helpful. Um, but, you know, also a, a passion for uh, helping people. He's, I, I don't know if the listeners know, but he's been a volunteer with PEAR, uh, homeless youth drop-in center um, for years and uh, been over there cooking and and working with them and volunteering. So his, and he was sort of, I think, looking for a way to manage or marry those two concepts of, of helping at-risk uh, youth or um, populations and the culinary field, but hadn't really landed on how it was going to work. Uh, so when he found Stone Soup, he said, oh, these guys kind of, maybe and they the have timing it. was right. I mean, yeah. you know, that's also a lot of it. It had been two years ago. Right. He wouldn't have been looking at poached jobs no, at that no point in time. <laughs> and but, I, Yeah, and I think I think that's right. And, and he often says, you know, rather be lucky than good. And I think in timing-wise, we got we did get lucky on that. Well, I think both. It's Both are a nice combination. That's lucky, true. Lucky and good. And let's face it. Uh, most of us who have good lives, a lot of it is luck. Yes. So um, absolutely, and even for your your candidates, um, right? Our they participants. Had to get, they had the participants. I'm sorry. No, that's right. Wrong, wrong term. Um, they had to get lucky to be one of the few. Sure. There because let, there have to be a lot of people in, on on the streets in Portland or ha- who have homes who are having a tough time mm-hmm. who need that and and be. Very beneficial. Right. So. Well, yeah, maybe lucky now, but unlucky to be where they are that they would need to qualify for our, our well, program. Well, that's true, but there's some people who just have no luck. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, And that, uh, I just wanted to talk to you a bit about the neighborhood because it's 
not the it's not the easiest neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's colorful. And yeah, let's call it, that's a good good word for it. Colorful. Um, how how has it been? Does 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 that environment help your mission? Does it get in the way of it? What is the I think it helps. When we first walked into the space, Ronit and I, um, back in November of last year, uh, she immediately saw the potential for it. Took me a, a couple of visits to kind of figure out how it would all look. But it's, you know, it's on the corner of Everett and Broadway, right? The so old, it's the old Gilt Club exactly. space right next to Bowery Bagels. Mm-hmm. And so it is. Um, on the cusp of Old Town and Pearl. So we're a couple blocks from where people don't mind spending $100 for a plate of food. And we're right around the corner or across the street from where some of Portland's social service agencies are providing resources to our most vulnerable populations. So being that bridge uh, speaks to our mission. That's one of the things that we're trying to do. And having the proximity to our our neighborhood, um, having a proximity to people that are going through a hard time, I think is important. I think it's easy to, in Portland, stay in a bubble. Um, and, you know, Old Town is definitely not in that bubble for most people. Um, so I think that is a good wake-up call. And having that proximity means that our diners can get a real sense of the problem that they're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. That's great. And how did you decide to try to solve this problem, at least for some? What's your background and a little of the story of how Stone Soup got its, uh, how it got its seed, seeding and where you went? Sure. So my background is in community development, digital storytelling. Um, I worked for a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., uh, worked for a talent agency in San Francisco producing events. Um, I came out of college sort of wanting to get into the music business. Uh, but then I met my wife, and on the first date, she said, I want to live overseas. All right. Uh, let's see what that looks like. Um, and, <laughs> and so, there's a lot of our options when you're just saying overseas, wide open. So she did Peace Corps, uh, and she wanted to get into international development. And when we, so in order to do that, she went to grad school in Australia. Uh, and then when she came back, we lived in San Francisco for a little bit. We, I was living in San Francisco when I met her. Uh, went to UC Davis. So coming out of school and, and life in California. And then we moved across the country to D.C., and I worked in the Jewish Community Center at the um, running their community service department. So it was basically making volunteer opportunities for members of the JCC to help low-income families in Washington, D.C. And that really was my first foray into nonprofits and fundraising and uh, helping people for a living. Uh, and it felt good. It, it's it's a nice thing to do. You know, one of the programs that we ran was doing construction projects, home improvement projects for people that couldn't afford it, right? So we are doing winterizing to help people with their bill, their energy bills, or, you know, we'd have somebody that had their basement burnt out and they can't afford to replace it. We would go in with a crew of volunteers and materials bought by grants and fix up their basement so it's livable. 
uh, and having somebody turn around and say, you know, with tears in their eyes, thank you. I couldn't have done this. You know, now I have a place for my kids to live. Um, yeah, that, that is intoxicating and, uh, addictive in some ways. Um, so I think that sort of planted the seed. Um, we then moved overseas to do development work. As I mentioned, my wife works for USAID. So she is, was, we were posted to Cairo, Egypt for two years. And then we lived in Cambodia for four years. And then our most recent was in Dakar, Senegal for four years. While we were living in Cambodia, there was a organization there called Friends International that taught street kids how to work in restaurants. So they take these street kids from Phnom Penh and train them in a couple of different restaurants that they would have. And they had this uh, three-tier program that they would work through. And uh, the end goal was getting them jobs in the hospitality industry. And, and the tourism industry in Southeast Asia is very well laid out. Um, and that's where a lot of the money is, uh, at least the, the honest money. And so, um, the, so I think that was part of our inspiration. Um, we sort of came up with this idea early on to do a, a soup kitchen during the day and a restaurant at night. Um, and then when we started doing research in Portland, which is where we, where we knew we wanted to end up, we realized there's plenty of places that you can go to get a bite to eat. If you know the system, seven days a week, three day, meals a day, you can get a meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that wasn't going to have the impact that we wanted to have. And feeding people is wonderful and necessary and uh, amazing. And I think um, nothing, I'm not taking anything away from organizations that are doing that because it's definitely providing a service um, that is necessary. But I think we were hoping to have a, a more longer term impact with our investment. Um, and, you know, you asked about the seed of, of kind of where this came from. So we started tossing around this idea of the soup kitchen during the day and a restaurant at night. And our original concept was, you know, the clients will provide us with a protein and a vegetable and maybe a grain and then like their choice. So they say, okay, I want to have chicken or I want to have, you know, this cut of meat. And then we would design the menu, uh, which is, Sounds really fun yeah, as a diner. It's slightly complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scott put a put the kibosh on that pretty quick. Yeah, I'm food sure. costs are going to go. Um, but and, I think, and I didn't need to be Scott Dolich to to hear that. <laughs> and say, I don't know about that. Yeah. So um, we, I, but we do. Um, we were always sort of going for a higher end evening catering uh, hall feel that could be available for private dining. Um, and so and, that's, and it is appropriate in that space because the, the Guilt Club is where that Portlandia episode occurred, where people needed to know their chicken. So if you bring your own chicken in, yeah, that's, you already know, right? Exactly. So, so, so there is a menu item that we have right now on the menu called the Peter and Nance Grain Salad, mm-hmm. uh, and I will um, spoiler alert: uh, it is from that Portlandia. Their characters in that scene are Peter and Nance. Um, so. Yeah, we definitely want to give a shout out to um, Portlandia and putting that spot on, uh, putting our location on on the Portland food map. Um, we, right, so w- when we were kind of creating this idea, um, 
we were tossing around different ways. To, we'd have these long car rides and we would kind of write out the business plan and talk about how we think it should go. Um, and then um, the summer in between when we lived in Cambodia, actually it was longer than a summer because we did we were doing French language training before we moved to Dakar, Senegal. Um, but the summer after we finished Cambodia, um, Renit's brother passed away. And he passed away pretty tragically and pretty early. And he was, Jason was a very, very successful business owner uh, and very generous with his time and with his money, both with friends and strangers. And um, he had left us some, some money that we never really thought was our money to begin with. So uh, we wanted to put that into a business that could help somebody. And so we we put in some of that money and we've raised some money from our friends and family to get it started. And because it's a nonprofit, we can take donations and they're tax deductibles uh, and we can accept grants. And, and um, as a nonprofit, we are um, able to both serve food like a normal restaurant but also be a training program that is helping people with a mission. Um, and I think that they both lend to each other well. Um, they both sort of feed off on each other. And that, that helps the mission quite a bit. So let's, because um, we're running short of time, unfortunately, my fault. But uh, let's talk about calls to action. So people can go to lunch how many days a week? Yeah, so we're open Monday through Friday from 11 to 2 for lunch. Uh, Thursdays for happy hour from 5 to 8 p.m. Fridays have been pretty slow, so we actually may do away with a Friday happy hour unless, you know. Someone you, can pick it up and make you change that. Yes, absolutely. And we're always open for private events, right? So even if it's a happy hour type event with, you know, light or heavy hors d'oeuvres and bringing in a group of, 12 or 15 people to do a happy hour. If you pick your night of the week, we're, we're happy to stay open for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for our private dining, that's seven days a week. We can do brunches. We can do um, lunches we've done. We've done dinners. Um, we've done some dinners away as well. Um, I'm, I always think like, boy, we spent so much energy on putting our space together. I think it looks great. And there's lots of space there. So it's yeah. a good, it's a, and yeah. There's a, uh, I can tell you from the event that we did, I think people felt good about being there and you, you know, all the chairs are different. It has a, it doesn't have, and, and, uh, on purpose, it doesn't have a real polished feel to it. It's got a, it's got a feel that there's something different going on here. Yeah. All of the chairs are donated by our job placement network partners. So places Mm -hmm. like Toro Bravo or Irving Street Kitchen, uh, Meals on Wheels gave us a chair. Um, we've had, yeah, uh, Tusk, um, Little Bird, uh, even Pittman Restaurant Supply gave us a couple of chairs. So there's been a lot of support from, and I feel very lucky about this, there's been a lot of support from the restaurant community about what we're doing and a lot of optimism for what we're doing. And that... Uh, that's really inviting to us. And that's really inspirational. I think having people like John Gorham in our corner 
is very, very yeah, useful. Very powerful. Yeah. And the time is right, too, because it's been obvious that Portland has the need to help people in one way or another, and you're teaching them to fish as yeah. opposed to just giving them the fish. Or maybe I, teaching them to cook the fish. Cook the fish, mm-hmm. right. But you're, you're, not just, you're not just feeding people. You're mm-hmm. teaching them how to put how to afford food on their own plates. Yeah, absolutely. So to speak. So yeah. if someone wants to donate, um, they go, the it's stonesouppdx.com. Is That's that? right. Yeah. We've, our website has a help out section where people can either donate or volunteer. Uh, we've got a volunteer portal where people can sign up for uh, shifts to work at the restaurant or at special events or come in and help us cook if that's in there wheelhouse and we're in the process of setting up guest chef nights which is actually very exciting we have so, you have anybody set up so, that you uh, can talk i don't want uh, i don't want to let the cat out of the bag because nothing's booked a hundred percent so um but we once we do have those chefs lined up we'll definitely do a big splash but we want to have monthly at least guest chef nights where People can come and share some of the dishes. It'll be fairly similar feel to the Portland Food Adventure Dinner, where we'll have a couple of different dishes, each by a different, you know, different chef and or Scott. Uh, and then we'll have, um, and people can buy just a seat at the table, as opposed to the private dining, right. where they have to book out the entire restaurant. So allow people to come and share a dinner meal with us instead of booking out the entire and it's kind, it's kind of a i don't know i'm sure you'll do lay out the tables as we did we had five ten tops mm-hmm. and there's something that's really nice about sitting with people you don't know who are also have similar interests so that mm-hmm. i think there there's so many positive things to that sort of thing and the collaborative spirit of portland where you'll have guest chefs in there helping and contributing i'm sure you're going to have more then you need knocking your door down to, so. to do those sorts of things because we have a very generous community here. Mm-hmm. And you're part of it now. A year ago, you weren't part of the food community, and it's very cool. Yeah, to, I, uh, I don't know what the, the record is for the, the shortest span of opening a restaurant and then getting on right at the fork. Oh, man. So uh, that's probably not too short because I'd rather talk to people after they have a little experience. So we get a lot of people who are opening places uh-huh, and want to talk uh-huh. about it beforehand and yeah. that's all well and good, but I'd rather talk about experiences rather than dreams because sure. dreams that we've had quite a few chefs who've wanted to come on and I said, well, let's wait until you have a little experience. And three years later, they're just opening their restaurant. Mm-hmm. So to have them talk about their dreams and then have no way for people to act on that. But anyway, Aside from all of that, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. Absolutely. And I appreciate the um, the concession for having a sh- slightly shorter podcast. But we'll. I think there's a lot to talk about. Your experiences elsewhere I really would like to get into. Those are of interest um, to me and I'm sure others. So let's uh, plan a return visit. I'd love that. And that way we'll plan it out after you have so many uh, graduates from your program and then you'll have some anecdotes to tell us about and some success stories. Too. Yeah, you've, got, you've got two on the way now. So, right, right. So uh, I think it'll be great when you have dozens to talk about and think about. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Um, 
Appreciate it. Have a have a good rest of the autumn. Rest of autumn. I will. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, total pleasure. Thanks. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 